Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. Judges chapter 11. We're going to read a... If Brother Paul knows I'm preaching this, he may come busting in the back door. So... Brother Paul and I had discussed this, this verse. I don't, I don't remember how long ago it's been. It's a difficult passage of Scripture. You know that they're in there, and sometimes you come across them. This is definitely one of those. And if you're not a, a person who reads their Bible cover to cover, you, you, this may be a new story for you. It may be something you're not familiar with. And if that's the case, I'm sorry, we don't have time to read the whole thing. I think we can read enough of the text to get the picture and sometimes you, sometimes I guess it's possible to be in a message and, and leave Brother Dennis feeling like eh, it really didn't apply to me, that really wasn't me. But it's hard to imagine really that any Christian that is seeking God's will for their life can, can be under the word of God and not glean something out of it for themselves, amen. I promise you this morning you're in the message. I promise you, Jace, you are in here somewhere. I don't know where you are. But I know when we get down to the invitation, you're in here. You are one of these groups, so I want you to pay attention and listen very closely. Um, Dr. Schofield uh, calls this uh, Jephthah's awful vow. And I, he's a much more educated man than me. And I really didn't have a good title for it, so we'll go with what he says. And I want to read you something this morning that, like I said, Brother Paul and I have talked about it. And we've had some, bounced some theories back and forth. But the Lord gave me something in this before I ever even had planned on using it as a message, and I guess God was just intervening before he knew this morning would roll around. So I'm convinced that, that not only did he want it for me, he wants it for you as well. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Let's, uh, let's stay seated. We're going to have a few verses here. So Judges chapter 11, we're going to start around verse 29. Jephthah was the ninth of 13 judges in Israel. I believe there was 13. I believe Samson was the last one. He was number 13. Jephthah uh, falls around number 9, exactly number 9. How many of you have ever heard of Jephthah? Have you ever heard of him at all? One of the judges in Israel? If you've read the book of Judges, not many. Not many. Amen. Well, you may learn something this morning that you did not know before then. All right. Judges chapter 11, verse 29 says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, as he passed over Gilead and Manasseh and passed over Mizpah of Gilead and passed from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed over unto the children of Ammon. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. How many of you are familiar with the story so far? Anybody? You've seen it before. Okay. 
So Jephthah passed over under the children of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he smote them from Aror, even until he came to Mineth, even twenty cities, and under the plain of the vineyards, with a very great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house. And behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances, and she was his only child. Beside her he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, and thou art one of them that trouble me. For I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. And she said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which, uh, that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth. For as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even of the children of Ammon. So I want you to get the picture here. There was a, a great a battle going on that Ammon was attacking the children of Israel. You know with the judges that they would veer away from God and they would get off track and then God would send a judge and he would deliver them and they would get back on track. And then that judge would pass off the scene whether he died or whatever and the children of Israel would go right back into the same mess that they were doing before and get right back into trouble again. And this is just a replica of, the, of that pattern that went over and over and over. And Ammon was coming to defeat the children of Israel. They were getting ready to pass over into the Benjaminites and Judah, and, and even the, those soldiers didn't even want to stand up and fight. So it was a very, very bad time in the nation of Israel. And this man, Jephthah, stood up and said, I'll, we'll read a little bit later, but I'll, I will lead the army. I will go fight. But he made a vow. And the vow was that whatever comes out the door of my house when I get home, I'll offer that for a sacrifice. Now, obviously, he wasn't thinking real far ahead, Brother Abe. He, wasn't, he, he didn't see the whole thing very clearly. When he comes home, his daughter is the first person out of the house, his only daughter. Verse number 37, And she said unto her father, let, me, let this be done for me. Let me alone two months, that I may go up and down upon the mountains and bewail my virginity, I and my fellows. And he said, go. And he sent her away for two months, and she went with her companions and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. And it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed, and she knew no man, and, as it, and it was a custom in Israel, that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in a year. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Uh, Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for giving us a place where we can assemble together. Lord, there are churches all over the world today uh, that are hiding in dark rooms and underground and wherever they can in order that they may praise and worship you without fear of death and persecution. And yet we sit here in the United States of America free uh, for the time being to come in anyway. We're thankful for that. Lord, I pray you be with those who uh, don't have the freedoms that we have and have your presence among them. Lord, I pray this morning, you know me better than anybody knows me, and uh, this people knows me pretty well. So I pray you do what only you can do and uh, get past me. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So Jephthah is a, is a mighty man. Let's turn back to chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to read a little bit about him to see how he got to this point. There's a lot of points in here that will be good for our church this morning, and I want you to pay very close attention, if you would, please. Now, Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor, verse 1, and that he was the son of a harlot, and Gilead begat 
Jephthah. Uh, he was the son of a harlot, and he was also a mighty man of valor. We looked up mighty man of valor last night and see how many times that was actually used in the Bible. It's pretty scarce. It's not used a lot. If a person God calls a mighty man of valor, that's, that's, you're in rare company. You're in with the, with the Gideons and with the Zadoks and with the Elidas and with the Jeroboams. Very few people God looked at that person and actually said, there is a mighty man of valor. But he says this about Jephthah, which means he was a fantastic warrior. He was somebody you could depend upon. He was somebody who would rise to the challenge. And it wasn't the everyday stuff. He was a hero when the chips were truly down. Amen? He was the guy who put his life on the line. But he also had another title. Did you catch that? He was the what? Son, son of a harlot. What's that mean? Well, a lady of the evening, as, we, as she's called, or a prostitute or something else, whatever is the word you use, was his mother. So he really didn't know who his dad was, and I found that funny that it says at the bottom there that Gilead begat Jephthah. You realize Gilead's not a person, right? It's an area. So what they're saying basically is, we don't know who his dad is. It could be any of those. So he just got raised among the group of them. He really didn't have a father in the house. His mother obviously was looked down upon. And you can get in a position where your background might prevent you from being able to do anything for the Lord in your eyes. Amen? Can I assure you this morning that no matter where you've come from or what has happened in your life before you got on the scene, nothing will limit you in the ability and the work of the Lord except the limits that you put on yourself. Amen? Jephthah was born in a condition that God was opposed to, but he rose to a position that God was pleased with. Amen? A lot of times we'll kind of write people off depending on who they are or maybe some of the things they've done. We'll say, well, you'll never amount to anything. Well, you need to be careful because all these people are created in God's image. And God has raised up mighty, mighty men from very low estate. Amen? As a matter of fact, very often he doesn't use people of high estate because their pride does not allow it. In verse number two, he says this, or they say, And Gilead's wife bare him sons, and his wife's sons grew up, and they thrust out Jephthah, and said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit in our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. Now, I found, I found that incredibly contradictory. His own sons, and they call them his wife's sons, because I guess maybe, maybe they were all mama's boys, I don't know, but he had sons that apparently did not connect with him. All of a sudden, they're not his sons anymore, even though his wife bore him sons. Now they're her sons, and they are ready to thrust him out. He had sons he just couldn't connect with. How many of you have children that sometimes you just cannot connect with? Ever been there? Am I the only parent? Amen. Two of us that's in the room have had problems with our kids. Good for us. Being good at your occupation doesn't necessarily make you good with your family. Fellas, you hear me? You know, a lot of times we put our, our pride and our, our, our worth and our, our time and energy in learning to be better at whatever our field is, whether we drive a truck or whether we're an electrician or whether we're a farmer or whether whatever it is we do, whether we're a pipe fitter. Uh, we, we look at things that we want to be known as very well, uh, very good at what we do. Nobody hopefully wants to be average, amen? Don't we all want to be good at what we do? Amen. We were talking in our Sunday school class this morning about spiritual leadership, and I asked a question that really, it absolutely floored me. I said, how many of you view yourselves as spiritual leaders? And about two people, maybe three in the classroom, actually raised their hands. You know what, dads? If you have children, 
you are a spiritual leader. And your primary investment in life is your wife first and then your children. If you're good at your occupation, you should be. Amen? You should work to be good at what you do because it's a good testimony. But being good at what you do outside the home does not necessarily make you good at what you do in the home. Now, we don't know all those, the whole story, if, if mom had something to do with this or not, but he wasn't good with his sons. As a matter of fact, he had sons he couldn't connect with, and he had a heritage that he wouldn't come into. In Israel, what you inherited was what you own. You couldn't really, like, if, 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 if Brother Charles had a piece of land, I couldn't necessarily just go buy it from him and have it for the rest of my life. If he couldn't afford it, he could sell it to me, and I could have it for a while. But there was a seventh year when things were turned, and there was a year of jubilee when everything went back. So your inheritance was all you had. If you didn't have it, that meant you didn't have any land. You didn't have anything. And his sons, now these are his sons, they rose up and said, you're not going to live in our father's house because you're the son of a strange woman. They didn't even know who their father was or their father's father. They had no idea who their grandfather was. They knew who their mother was or his mother anyway. They really didn't have that kind of... They were looking at their mother, I guess, in, in her inheritance and said, you're not going to get any of it. Now, how strange is that? That a man that puts his life on the line every day, goes out, does what he does. He's a hero in Israel. He's not an average guy. He's a, he's a military hero. And you would think that every son would look up to their dad and say, wow, that's incredible. That's my dad going down the street right there. But they said, you're not going to have any part in our inheritance. And then he also had a parent that he couldn't be forgiven for. He was a hero in the battle, but he was a casualty in the time of peace. I want you to hear that very carefully this morning. If you've been in church very long at all, you've been through some battles, amen? And sometimes you're going to find out that there are people who rise up during the battle, and that just seems to be what they're good at. Uh, they're very good when things are hard, and sometimes when things calm down a little bit, they kind of fade into the background, and they don't do a lot. And maybe we'll question why they're not more involved, or why they don't do this, and why they don't do that. But it could possibly be that God has those people in the congregation just specifically for a time like that. Amen? We are very good at questioning each other's ability and how well we do what the other person does. Amen? we would be a lot better served if we just concentrated on what God was trying to do in our lives. Because honestly, I don't know what God's plan for Marty is. I mean, I have a general idea. I know what the overlying picture is for a dad. I don't know what God's calling Brother Jeff to do and, and when he'll shine his brightest or not. But I know some of the general principles. But when I start trying to fit them into my mold, I've gone to a place that God never designed me to be. Amen. Amen. All right. Verse number three. And this is just lead in. Everything's come to the invitation. And Jephthah fled from his brethren and dwelt in the land of Tob. And there were gathered vain men to Jephthah, and he went out with them. And they went out with him. Let me tell you something about leaders. Leaders gather followers. I don't believe that, I do believe to an extent leaders are born. I believe that you can have some personality characteristics that make you more of a person that would lead, and people will naturally follow you. But I also believe that leaders can be made. I believe that God can make a spiritual leader out of whoever he wants to. And I believe that if you're called by the name of Christ, God has called you to be a spiritual leader. Amen? No matter where Jephthah was, people followed him. He just had that type of personality. They cast him out. He said he fled from his brethren. Sometimes people come from conditions that are hard for us to understand or relate to. You understand what I'm saying? 
Let me give you a quick story, just real quick. Brendan, you remember J.R. Bell? Does that mean you never know Brother J.R.? You never know J.R. Bell besides his... He was a, a man at our church when we were at Mount Elmira. And he was big into the bus ministry. And he was my greatest bus driver. He never missed. He was there every Sunday. He was there for visitation. <clears throat> he was a godly man. He drove our teens. <clears throat> every time we went to a camp or a meeting, he's the one that drove. Always available. Always on visitation. One of the most godly men that I ever met. Well, J.R. had been divorced. And during the time that we were struggling a little bit at Mount Amira and we didn't have a lot of leadership, J.R. and his wife, Ms. Donna, came and they began to serve in ministry. And they were extremely faithful and they were extremely Christ-like and just everything about them was just wonderful. And they wanted to make J.R. a deacon. And J.R. says, well, I've been married before. He says, I've been divorced. I don't think I can be. Well, everybody assured him, yeah, you can. It's all right, you know, whatever. And, I, and I'm not into the whole whether you can be a deacon or not discussion this morning, that, that's not what this is about. But they made him a deacon. And J.R., really to this day, is still a deacon to me. He's one of the most godly men I've ever met. He's just got the sweet spirit of Christ about him. He's constantly serving God. And once we got out of the battle and everything was good and the church started growing and we got a new pastor in place, somebody, and, and I don't know who it was, but there was a small group of people that came to the pastor and said, I don't think J.R. should be a deacon. And he was like, really, why? He said, well, he's been divorced before. And so uh, Brother Jason was kind of hesitant to tell him, but he thought, well, you, you, you got a point. That's in the Bible. I get it. So they went to J.R., and he said, J.R., some people think that maybe you should be disqualified as a deacon because you've been married before. And he said, no problem. I'll step down. He didn't quit anything he was doing. He served just like he always served. The only difference was that he wasn't a deacon. So I asked him one time about that. We were on the bus together. I don't know where we were going. I said, J.R., I said, uh, how come you're not a deacon? He said, well, I got divorced. I said, yeah, tell me how it happened. He said, I was in Korea in the army, in the war, and my wife was back here in Kentucky, and she sent me a Dear John letter saying that she didn't want to be married anymore. So he said, the military flew me to California, dropped me off, and I hitchhiked from California to Kentucky to try to salvage my marriage. And he said, I tried everything. She just didn't want to be married anymore, didn't want to be married to a soldier, whatever the reason was, so she left me. And he said, I married Miss Donna. We've been married however many years that was now. They've probably been married 50 years by this point. I don't know. I said, do the people that wanted you to step down know that? He goes, they never asked me. He goes, I don't know. I said, are you angry about it? He goes, oh, no, no. I'm not mad. He said, it's not going to affect what I do. I'm going to continue serving in the ministry the way that I always have. I'm just going to do it without a title, which I was doing before. And he said, I'm fine with it. Sometimes people come from conditions that are hard for us to understand or relate to. Amen? Be very careful who you judge. Sometimes in the process of what they've been through, they may do things we don't understand. Well, if I was, uh, if I was uh, Jeff, I would have stayed and I would have fought. Well, think about this for a minute. He was a son who was born into a, a, to a mother who had a... a What's the word I'm looking for? A reputation that was less than desirable, we'll put it that way. And if you didn't have a father in that culture at that time, you really weren't expected to amount to much. 
Your mom really couldn't work outside of obviously what she did, so his name would not have started very well. So when more attention came up, and plus he learned how to be a warrior, plus he went to battle, plus he got to be one of the very best he could at what he was doing, plus he saved the nation. We don't know how many times he put his life on the line, but when it came down to money all of a sudden, they said, you know what, you don't, you don't get any of this. Now, if you have good negotiating skills or whatever, you may go around and, and, and talk to people and reason it out. He didn't have that. He did not come from a place that was a solid, loving, family, Christian background. And I want to tell you something this morning, church. I didn't come from that either. Now, if you did, good for you, man. I'm excited for you. But we've got to understand that sometimes people don't see things the way that we see things. And if we're not very careful, they're coming in here looking for acceptance. And they're looking for people that care about them. And they're looking for unconditional love. And we start pounding them with all the things from their path. And maybe what they do is wrong, but they flee because they just don't know any better. Amen? Amen. And very, the very last, sometimes people, uh, because of what people know, they find it easier to flee than to fight or to fit. Uh, I know a lot of people, when they come in here, and, and Brother Joe, you've talked to them. Brother Dennis, you've talked to them. Brother Jason's talked to them. They come in, and they sit in the back row, and, and they, they're kind of excited about being here, but they say, I don't... I don't have the clothes to come. I'm sorry for what I'm wearing. They say all kinds of things, how they don't fit in here. And you know what? They, they really believe that. You know why they believe that? Because they think we're perfect. Man, we look good. We all got our smiles on. We all know the verses to the songs. We know when to stand. We know when to sit. And, and, and they just don't seem to fit. And it's just easier to flee than fit. Amen? And often we expedite the process. Verses 4 through 11, and we're not going to read down through them. But what has happened is Israel just has no one really that's willing to stand and fight. The children of Ammon are surrounding them. Uh, they're going to come down upon them. And Israel is looking around for somebody to stand up and lead. And whoever the great soldiers were, apparently they didn't care at this time. Uh, everybody was hunkering down. So Israel has no one willing or able to fight the battle that they're uh, getting ready to face. And they reach out to Jephthah to enlist him. Now they're more than happy to offer him anything or everything he wants in order to come back when they could have just kept him if he could have just had his family and his heritage. You know what they sent to him? They said, Jephthah, will you come and lead us into battle? And we should read it probably. He said, let me get this straight. Now you kicked me out just a couple years ago because I didn't fit the bill and I wasn't the type and I wasn't what you thought I should be and you forced me out. You weren't going to let me keep my home, my land, my family, my nothing, but now you're in trouble you want me back he's a smart guy and they said yeah yeah we want you back and he basically tells them eventually I don't I don't want to rule you but I'll come back and help you and in verses 13 through 28 Jephthah this guy who was uh, the son of a harlot and and this mighty warrior we generally don't think warriors are, are really intellectual right I mean generally guys that are pretty good fighters come on guys honestly they're not that smart that's why they're good fighters because if they could argue they would but they can't so they just beat your brains in that was kind of where Jephthah was at. But he recites 13 through 20, 16 verses to the king of Ammon, everything that's wrong with his argument. He said, why do you want to come fight against us? And the king of Ammon said, well, you stole this land from me, and this is how you did it. And Jephthah goes just like Moses or like Joshua or anybody else would have. He goes right down the line and explains everything that happened from the time they left Egypt to the time they got where they had. He goes, it's not your land. He said, it's our land. He said, God gave it to us, and we're not going to give it up. You wouldn't have thought that would have come out of a soldier, but it did come out of him. 
He says it's our place and we're going we're to hold it. God's given it to us. We're not giving it up. He's God's man with God's word and God's power on his side and a right relationship with God. So how does a guy that's this smart and this knowledgeable and, and this apparently spiritual make a vow like that? How's God do that? Go back to verse 29. Let's look at that just briefly. We're actually going to close with this. I want you to see a few things. In verse 29, it starts out with, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed over Gilead, and he talks to the areas he went. And then if you look at verse 30, and I'm not a language expert, as you know, but what's the very first word in verse 30? And you know what that means? And is a continuation. It's not like a therefore or a because or a then. It's an and. That means it continues. So the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he goes to these areas. And apparently the way this is worded, the Spirit of the Lord is still on him in verse 30. He vows this vow unto the Lord. And he says, you know what? If you deliver him into my hand, he says, whatsoever comes out of my house when I come home will be a burnt sacrifice. So what do you suppose he was expecting to come out of the house when he got home? He didn't say whosoever, right? He said whatsoever. What was he expecting to come out of the house? An animal? Now we think, well, that's crazy. You have animals in the house back then. They did. Sheep, goats, whatever. You know, they kept them in there so predators wouldn't get them or for whatever reason. So he, maybe he didn't carefully consider the cost. Maybe he did not. Let's give him that, obviously, because he probably didn't because he was distraught because it happened. But I want you to look at a few things. I want you to set this point aside just for a second. Just for a second. Do we all agree that God does not condone human sacrifice? Yes, we agree with that? So that was, that was a problem, right? Let's just set that aside just for a minute. Let me ask you a couple questions. Everything in Jephthah's house belonged to who? Belonged to God, didn't it? And Jephthah knew that. He said, you know what? Whatever comes out of my house belongs to me. Do you know why we look at this so... Uh, cautiously and maybe unbelievably in our culture because we view everything as ours. And it says that wasn't just his daughter, Joe. That was his only daughter. You know, he's not even talking about the sons he had anymore. Doesn't even mention And That daughter is his sole possession in the world. She's the most important. She's the apple of his eye. Doesn't say nothing about the wife. I don't know why, but it does not. But everything in that house that's going to come forward out of that house already belongs to God. Jephthah knows it. Number two, is God sovereign? Could God have let something else come out of the house first? Sure. Could have been a goat. Could have been a sheep. Could have been a dog. Could have been a, I would hope for a cat. I'll sacrifice the cat. Just send the cat out. I'll get that first. So God's sovereign. He allows the daughter to come out first. Number three, once it's all said and done, and Jephthah figures out what has happened, he talks to his daughter, and both of them are, well, he's kind of distraught. But what do you suppose, what's it look like her attitude is about being sacrificed for the will of God? She's on board. Okay, Dad, if you promised, I guess that's what we'll do. Now, that's, that's not normal. I mean, normal to us, but it was normal to her. Here was two people who had a vision of what was more important for the land and the nation than probably anybody else in the nation, and they were willing to pay a supreme price for the benefit of who? people that had rejected them, people that had kicked them out, people that were their brethren, people that were their, their family. They were willing to pay the ultimate price without complaint because it seemed the right thing to do to them. 
And the very last thing, let me ask you this really quick, and we're still going with God doesn't condone human sacrifice. Number five, if we could see Jephthah and his daughter in heaven today and ask them, would you make the same choice again? What do you think they'd say? Sure they would. Why would they? It's the right thing to do, and they're looking at it from an eternal perspective. You know what we get caught a lot of times? We look at everything, Brother Dennis, as, you know, right here, what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't look at things from an eternal perspective. And Jephthah and his daughter both looked at those things, and even though it was an awful vow, God doesn't condone human sacrifice. We know that. Even though that was bad, they both looked at it and said, Jephthah basically said, a vow to God is a vow to God. If I make it, I'm not going to break it. His daughter says, you're right. You shouldn't break it. Just give me a couple months to say goodbye to all my friends, and I'll be ready. And they went forward. God could even stop. God could have even intervened and said, Jephthah, I appreciate the offer, kind of like he did with Abraham and Isaac. He said, you know what? But you don't need to do that. I'll be with you anyway. But he did not. Curious, isn't it? Because God doesn't condone human sacrifice, does he? All right. Romans 12, 2. Does God condone human sacrifice? Everybody says no. He doesn't in the Old Testament. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And be not conformed. Or verse 1. We didn't get verse 1 yet. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Who's he talking to? Us, a living person. And he's talking that you should present your bodies a living sacrifice. Do you know what they were doing back then? Present their bodies a living sacrifice. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.